Hey, thanks so much for joining with us wherever you are and whomever you are with as we continue our RSVP series because all creation requests the honor of your love. We're working through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and so uh, right now I'll give you all a moment to read that passage in its entirety with your community group. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to unpack one portion of it in particularly, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Paul writes, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, and we thank you that it is indeed, and we believe it to be living and active. And so we ask that it uh, just mold us, shape us, make us more into your image as we're gathering with others and we're opening your scriptures. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present as well, and may we hear your voice loud and clear. Uh, may we be further converted and transformed, resurrected into the image and likeness of Christ as you have intended for us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Uh, this conversation we're having this morning is not about boundaries. It's not about limitations of the soul or, or no, the healthy freedom word, as Eugene Peterson calls it. Unbuckle your seatbelts. We aren't going to talk about restraint in the slightest. Now, uh, following Jesus, uh, accepting our Imago Dei nature, that we are indeed all made in the image of God, doesn't mean anything and everything is open to us. Such following and divine revelation means our lives are rife with discipline, walking away from some things, putting other things down, choosing to be spiritually minded, choosing not to be carnally minded. It means we actively disengage some habits while we fully engage others. In the month of April, one of our Sabbath months, we'll be leaning into our heart and soul series once again as we talk about the ways, the habits, and the practices of Jesus. What we're talking about today is love with its associating let, yes. Because emphatically and unashamedly, love says yes. Let me read our scripture again. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And as we know God to be love, 1 John chapter 4, it means spirit says yes. And it says this not only in this one passage we're looking at, it, but throughout the scriptures. There's familiar passages in the book of Jeremiah, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The prophet writes, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth and in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Aren't you glad that we have digital time these days so we don't have to rehearse such? But I digress. Verse four. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The spirit of Christ says yes. Psalm 139, another familiar passage of scripture, verses 13 through 18. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Then as yet, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And of course, Jesus' words in John chapter 15 and verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and fruit that would remain. Now, I'm not suggesting that God endorses every single bit of all of me, my actions, my emotions, my choices, my whatnot, but he endorses me and he endorses you. Like we spoke of last week in Luke chapter 15, just unpacking this reality that whether we are wandering, whether we are lost, whether we have run away or whether we have stayed and just simply become disconnected and cold, the Father's heart, God's heart is towards us. It is indeed yes. No, as a freedom word, closes one door, while opening avenues and maintaining opportunities as available. This is why our no is so very valuable. Yes, however, brings with it attachment and focus, singularly at first for sure, but when spoken scripturally in covenantal terms and therefore endlessly, our yes pulls with it an expansive universe of engagement. This is why our yes is so very costly. I'll give you an example. When my wife, my girlfriend at that time, said yes to marrying me, became my fiance, and we entered into that season of being fiancés <laughs> with one another, we were moving towards marriage. She was saying yes to being married to me. She was saying yes to seeing this beautiful face every single morning for every day for the rest of her life. But she was also saying yes to in a year's time when we would, after we were married, that I would be in a coma for 15 days and she would be, my, be by my bedside. She said yes to kid one, kid two, miscarriage and kid three. She said yes to a life of ministry, which despite everybody's thought process, isn't always so wonderful and light and fluffy and airy. She said yes to uh, someone who was going off staff from a church to work at a public school just to help make ends meet. She said yes to so many things that she didn't know she said yes to. Her yes pulled her into a different life and a different circumstance than what she perhaps had expected. This is what yes does. It pulls us into things that we yet are unknown to. So let's talk about all the things of love. Our passage mentions that, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All these four frames are included with this context of things. The original language says they're pas. Now this word pas, when speaking to individually, means each, every, any, all, the whole, everything. When speaking to the collective, the larger, it means some of all types. The original language doesn't have with it the determiner all because it is actually implied in the word pas. So the letter from Paul actually reads, bears things, believes things, hopes things, endures things. With the understanding, it applied to the encompassing pas, which is all the things. Now, let's note the preceding directive giving words to pas 
are all present tense verbs. Bears, believes, hopes, and endures. Love indeed is various, as we've talked about for several weeks now, but it also has specific characteristics. For instance, we all agree, or at least it seems we have, uh, at least accepted Hallmark's tyrannical ruling that love has a characteristic color. The color's not blue, it's not green, it's not polka dot, it's not striped, it's red, or at the very least, a reddish hue. In the same way, scriptures describe love as having a characteristic posture. Again, the feel of it, the circumstance of it may vary from time to time, but the posture of love is one of active engagement and active movement. Let's go through these four verbs that the scriptures give us. The first is bears, bears all things. The original word there is stego. This means to cover with silence, not in a rudeness, not in an overwhelming circumstance, but to hide, conceal of errors and faults of others. It's the act of covering to keep something off which threatens. Think bug spray, think rain jacket, think Jesus in John chapter eight. This is when the woman who's caught in the midst of adultery is being dragged to the city center to be stoned to death because of her act of adultery. John, uh, Jesus in this moment does not endorse her actions. He doesn't endorse the decisions that she's made that put her in this place, but he absolutely bears this moment with her. He covers her. He conceals the faults and the circumstances that brought her to this place. He puts this moment in a context where all others drop their stones and walk away. And he too chooses not to condemn the woman. He stegos. He bears the moment with her. Believes all things. This word believes originally in the language is pistuo, to be persuaded, to credit as giving one account to, to have confidence in. Think being a Browns fan in the off season. <laughs> Think giving the benefit of a doubt to a loved one. Think Jesus in Luke chapter 19 as he's going through the city and he sees Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector, climbing up into a tree to see him to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus calls up to Zacchaeus by name so everybody knows who he's talking to. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree and let me have dinner with you. I will have dinner with you this evening at your house. Of course, this ignites a firestorm of frustration. Why are you talking with that gentleman, Jesus? Why are you gonna have dinner with that person? He is not just a tax collector who's evil and a traitor and a sinner, but he's a chief tax collector, which means he's a great traitor, a, a very good evil person, a very good sinner. But of course, Jesus pistuos, he is persuaded, he credits something to Zacchaeus. He has confidence in something greater than what everybody else sees or experiences. And it's incredible when you see the response of Zacchaeus to the firestorm around him, to Jesus' invitation, and he immediately resolves to give money back. He immediately resolves to actually more than what he's taken to restore to people. And Jesus speaks to him and calls him a son of Abraham, which is a restorative term in the lineage of the Jewish people. 
Pistuo is also the term that we read so often when referred to as faith in the New Testament, that we're choosing to believe and we're choosing to be persuaded to pistuo, to give our confidence to. The third one is hopes all things. Hopes in the original language is elpizo, to expect by confiding in or to wait. Think sowing seed in the fall that you hope will yield a crop in the spring several months later. Think vulnerability or authenticity, practicing of confession. Think Jesus in John chapter 4. As he and the disciples are traveling and he gets to a well, he sends the disciples away for food because he's hungry, he's tired, and he sits by the well and he actually waits. And then a woman comes out in the middle of the day and he begins to have an authentic, vulnerable conversation. It's one of the few times that Jesus gets so vulnerable that he reveals his true identity as the Messiah. And as they are having this vulnerable, confession-filled conversation, Jesus is confessing who he is. And eventually the woman, the Samaritan woman, confesses who she is and where she is. And it's in this moment of vulnerability and confession that she is led to repentance and then goes back into the city where she came from, from which she was really rejected, and then tells the gospel, exclaims the grace that was given to her by Jesus Christ. And finally, the fourth posture is endures all things. Hypomeno. It means to remain with the connotation of remaining so long that you're actually left behind. You're, you're not receding, you're not fleeing. Think uh, that gear that moms click into, that mama bear mode. <laughs> you all know my wife. She's one of the kindest people in the world. She gives mercy to anybody and everybody. She sees every side to every circumstance, every story, every situation. A handful of times, however, I've seen Tiny slip into, click into, shift into mama bear. Four or five times people kind of say things or have an attitude towards one of her children. And you better, I just kind of step back, step back and watch that thing unfold. That mama bear mode, that enduring. Think good teachers. Think unsung coaches. Think first responders who are racing against traffic as they're coming away and those first responders are going into a moment of trauma. Think Jesus hanging on a cross, having endured everything. Can we all consider, first, foremost, and finally, this is how God loves us, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is how the Spirit of Christ postures and positions towards us actively in real time, in our present tense, be it in beauty or in brokenness, or as the psalmist writes, whether we make our bed in heaven or in Sheol. I've had more than a few people approach me with the query, hey, Christoph, this has all been great, really good, but when do we get to the part about what we don't do? how we're supposed to receive God's love and live our lives thereafter. A few responses to that. My first response to that is, hey, let, let's grab a cup of coffee. 
I think the only way to address such an honest musing in a healthy and holy way is through a discerning conversation, one equipped with shared hearts and the practice of confession. And again, I don't mean confession in terms of telling all the bad things. I mean confession in terms of telling the truth about oneself. Where are you? Where am I? What are we nervous about? What are we excited about? What energizes us? What drains us? My second response to that query is, hey, this is called the love chapter. My third response is that I think as we learn about how God loves us, everything falls into place thereafter. The problem of this course is that we, we don't really learn it. We rarely believe it and we accept it. We allow ourselves to be changed by the love of God even less. I want to read a familiar passage with that in mind. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not let us also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So consider these things. Jesus is bearing with you. Jesus is believing in you. Jesus is hoping for you. Jesus is enduring alongside you. Now, when you let those things of the all the things sink into your knower, into your soul, while you meditate on such dynamic and effectual promises as lived truths, not just information and beyond inspiration, but allowing it to influence the way you see yourself. I'm confident you'll begin to live differently yourself. And eventually, even without coercion, I'll imagine you'll be bearing with others. You'll be believing in others. You'll be hoping for others. You'll be enduring alongside others and so fulfilling the great commandment that Jesus challenges us with, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love others as yourself. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we not only have intentions to love, but may our lives be rife with the characteristics of love's actual presence. May God's posture toward us inform and invigorate our posture towards others. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.